This presentation is from UX Australia 2022, day one. Uh, first of all, um, Yama, and um, thank you so much for having me. I'm joining you on the lands of Bundalung country. First of all, um, I just want to pay my respects and say Jingawali. I'm on the lands of the Bundjalung people and I pay my respects to ancestors and elders and, and traditional owners of this land that I'm on today. And um, you know, it's a real honour to be joining you all today. And um, I just wanted to put this warning out there that my presentation does contain images of children um, and community members that have since passed, but we have permission to use their photos and um, that I have this general warning, even if they haven't passed, but you know, this is one of the um, sad realities of working with remote communities that unfortunately people do pass away. So we put this in here um, and pay our respects to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people that have joined us. A um, little bit about me. Um, don't worry, deadly is a form of slang that's, uh, that us Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people use to describe something as cool or awesome. Um, so when you think of deadly science, think of awesome or cool science, but less lame. Um, again, I pay my respects to all the traditional owners of the land and um, our people, again, we have 65,000 years plus of science um, and culture. We're the oldest living continuous culture of the world in the world. We, um, our people, the first astronomers, the first carers of country, um, land, sea and sky as well. Um, and today we have a cultural, um, we have a cultural responsibility to make sure that the next generation of deadly scientists have all the tools they can to do what their ancestors did for 65,000 plus years um, on this continent and still do today. Um, so a little bit about um, culture and a little bit about where I come from. So my both my parents are Indigenous. So my um, mother is from Gamilaroi country here in Walgut. Um, up here and um, my father actually came from Gamilaroi country as well and he was from a place called Armadale which is right where my mouse is there and um, both those mobs even though they're in the same country are completely different so this is an IATSIS map and um, the IATSIS map is a really really cool map because there's over 500 different clans and language groups in Australia but um, as you can see by the sheer size of some of the communities and some of the nations the, the differences are completely different so for example, you take Wiradjuri country um, and you can go up right up towards Dubbo. The knowledge is completely different in the language to, you know, down south right near Daniloquin and Hay, um, and it's pretty exciting. So, you know, this is only a basic map um, of all the communities. There's there's a lot more dialects. Actually, the most linguistically diverse place on earth is actually Meningrida um, up in the Yungli Nation, right up the top here. Um, they're right there. And um, they speak 15 different languages in that community. And um, there's no place on earth like it, which is pretty amazing. Uh, sorry. Um, again, a bit about me. I'm a Gamilaroi man. I grew up in Dapdo in the Illawarra region, and, and I was born in Yuan country. And um, I actually started my career um, working with animals. So I started off working in the zoos. I worked at Shoalhaven Zoo. And, you know, I dreamt of being Harry Butler when I grew up. I, I wanted to be Steve Earl, and I... Most of my childhood was picking up pieces of tin and catching blue tongue lizards and and different reptiles. And um, you know, my childhood was pretty rough. Um, I was often isolated from other people. Um, my my dad had left um the family home at nine months old, so I, I didn't actually know my biological father. And you know, that was really tough for a kid. Um, my older sister played a huge role in raising me. Um, 
you know, mainly because my mum had to work and and other issues around the family as well. And, you know, it meant that when I got to, year, when I was 16 and I got to year 10 and they said, what do you want to be when you leave school? Um, the options given to me were stick to a trade. Um, you know, kids like you don't go to university. You know, kids like you aren't smart. You know, you should probably, yeah, you're not going to become a zookeeper or a wildlife documentary. Stop dreaming, you know, go and get a trade. So I actually started working at Dapto Pools and Dapto McDonald's back um, when I was 16. I saved up a bit of money and I went to Western Australia as a 16-year-old. And I worked in a place called Rue Gully, which is kind of like Tiger King, but for kangaroos. Um, <laughs> and um, I absolutely, you know, it was it was a really tough experience for me because I left home really young. And um, it meant that, you know, I, I was this kid that really barely knew how to put toast in a toaster. Um, and, you know, it was a real, real like sort of um, pivotal moment in my life as a young person. I um, spent time with this couple called Jim and Norma. And Jim and Norma um, were amazing. They're no longer with us, um, but they taught me how to cook lasagna. They taught me how to make a bed. They taught me all the basic life skills I've kind of missed out on. And um, I came back and I worked at Shoalhaven Zoo, um, formerly known as Narrow Wildlife Park, not known for its WHS record. So please don't Google that. Um, and um, things sort of led to another. And I, I'd made a friend down the zoo and we're in the process of moving in together. And um, he unfortunately passed away um, tragically. And it led me to, um, finding an ad in the paper, um, for an alpaca handler job. So actually sheared alpacas, um, for three years. And I went around Australia and New Zealand shearing alpacas. And then I came back and I started working at the RSPCA, but, you know, with the shearing of alpacas, it was, it was really interesting because, um, my time at the zoo, you're always challenging yourself. Like I always wanted to prove my careers advisors wrong. I wanted to prove people wrong that I could do it. And I always had that determination. And whether that came from, you know, the fact that my father left at nine months old and I didn't want to have the same life he did, um, or it was just, you know, a burning desire just to show people that I could do it and um, and not have that doubt. Um, but with me, with alpacas, I got quite bored of sharing alpacas. Um, I was always trying to look for the next best thing. So I'd often cut their teeth or um, learn how to give them injections and worm them. Um, I made really good relationships with the alpaca breeders. It was a really great job. I traveled around a lot. But by the time I got sick of that job and I, I kind of got a bit homesick because I was kind of moving around a lot at the time, I was pretty nomadic. I was in, you know, I was in often in different places at different times. Um, I worked at the RSPCA and I kind of started cleaning the dog kennels, but I, and I really got interested in training dogs because um, a lot of the dogs, you know, used to get euthanized for behavioral reasons. And I really wanted to understand dog behavior. So I ended up getting my Delta training certificate. I'd already had a diploma in captive management from um, Bankstown TAFE as a zookeeper. And then basically one thing led to another and I ended up at the Animal Welfare League. Um, where I worked with a dog named Bouncer and um, Bouncer had had his throat cut and I had rehabilitated this dog. And I kind of was my mission to get this dog adopted. Um, and then I met my wife at an animal shelter. And um, the joke in our family is that she picked me up from a pound, but it actually is true. She did pick me up from a pound. And um, I ended up working at the Garvin Institute of Medical Research where I started changing the mouse boxes. And then I got more interested in the research. And then I got more involved with the collection of tissues for DNA um, analysis. And then I got more involved in the genome editing process of rodents. Um, for medical research. And then I ended up, um, 
I ended up finding Deadly Science back in 2018. Um, and I really wanted to inspire other Aboriginal kids that had grown up just like me that, you know, maybe they slipped through the cracks and they are highly intelligent kids, but they just need that person to believe in them. And I um, started giving these talks down at Redfern and Waterloo um, in Sydney. And, and I really built a strong connection with the community down there. And would have 50, 60 kids talk about anything from tech to physics to science, you, you name it. And it really grew organically. And then I got on the blower one day and I started Googling remote schools and ringing them up and asking about their STEM programs. And, and a lot of the schools would come back to me and say, we've got literally no STEM resources. One school in particular had 15, resource, uh, 15 books in its entire school. Um, and from that moment, I took up a second job. So I was working as a, a laboratory manager at that time at the Charles Perkins Centre. And, um, you know, from that, like I ended up working at the, I went back to the animal shelters and worked there and I, I raised $20,000 got my own money and I put that back into resources and started sending them around the country. And then um, from that, I started a GoFundMe page, which over its lifetime um, raised a quarter of a million dollars and it sent you know, I was able to send thousands of resources and connect with communities all over Australia. Um, and then I ended up working as a research fellow for the Matilda Centre. And I worked on the Cracks in the Ice Project Indigenous. Um, and that was a little bit out of my comfort zone again. Um, I was learning about crystal methamphetamine and harm minimization resources in mental health and substance use. Um, and for me, it was, I wanted to dip my toes into something that wasn't animal related because I'd spent my career working with animals and I'm always sort of looking for the next challenge in my career to, to push myself into a different direction. So mainly just because I, I really, I love learning about things that I don't understand and I could never really understand why people took ice or, or like how it got into communities, how it was made. Um, so I kind of learned, I wanted to learn all about that kind of stuff. Um, here's all the boring stuff. So in the lifetime of deadly science, I've been honored in, in many ways, um, because I've been able to engage Indigenous kids in science um, and a lot of marginalised kids as well, because um, I'd grown up as a marginalised kid, didn't probably know it at the time, but, you know, now I do as a, as a man, I look back and I see, you know, I see a lot of things that, a lot of parallels um, to a lot of kids out there that, that do struggle, um, not just because of race, but because of social economic status and, and things like that. So, in 2020, I was embarrassingly named the young Australian of the year for New South Wales. Um, I came up against a little known tennis player in the national awards, could Ash Barty. Um, I was the first ever Indigenous person under 30 to win the um, Indigenous STEM champion award. And then I won a Eureka Prize last year, which is really lucky. Um, it's a pretty prestigious award. And, and then, um, you know, just this year, Deadly Science was on a... Um, was on the McLaren Formula One car. And um, that was an incredible, incredible conversation. Um, I was actually two days before I was meant to get married and this guy was annoying me on LinkedIn and saying, hey, can you please meet with me? Can you please meet with me? And I promised my wife that I wouldn't do any more work because I put it, you know, to be an expert in anything, you've got to put at least 10,000 hours in. But I put about 70 hours a week into deadly science. Um, you know, it, it, I've only hired, I only hired myself in June last year because I put a lot of the money back into back into the kids and the communities because I just wanted to make a difference. Um, and, um, yeah, we we got this call from McLaren um, F1 racing team and they wanted to put our logo on the side of their car, which was very generous. But I actually said no at the start. 
um, because I really wanted McLaren to come and meet the community and meet the kids. So I, we invited them down there. And to their credit, they came to Redfern and they met everyone. Um, and the rest is history. And um, all the other stuff has been really great. But with the Eureka Prize and all these awards, they're a responsibility. They're a responsibility to the young people that look up to me. Um, so we actually printed off a bunch of Eureka Prizes and sent them to all the kids. Um, this kid down the bottom here, Shoshone, she's deadly. She's from um, Robinson River. And she was the first ever Indigenous student to apply for a Sleek Geeks Prize at the Eurekas. Um, she didn't win. But, you know, the fact that remote kids hadn't applied for that award before in, a, in an award that's dominated by private school children, um, I was just so proud. And this is Uncle Paul Butters. He's our, um, he's our Educator of the Year for last year. This guy is an elder. He's the, one of the greatest scientists I ever knew um, or ever known. And he's just absolutely unbelievable. And then um, this is a Wicking House Kids. Um, they're a boarding house school. And we printed off a, a Eureka Prize for them and we shared our award with them, which is really great. Um, again, you'll find me. Um, this logo was drawn on a napkin. <laughs> um, and then it was fixed up by my um, my cousin who, who made it look a lot nicer. Um, but this is um, me at Warren Aboriginal Medical Centre. And every time I go to the doctor, I've done this since I was 16. I'll always make sure I leave something behind, whether it be a book or a piece of Lego or, you know, you name it, because I really want young kids to be able to go to the doctor and not be fearful of the doctor. Uh, people die way too early. Um, they die way too young. Um, and for me, you know, as someone that has had a lot of relatives and, and people that have had preventable illnesses in our in our life, I really just wanted to stop. You know, we have rheumatic heart disease in this country and 85% of the world has eradicated it. But yet in Australia, we have children that have to have open heart surgery and they're dying way too young of an illness that was completely preventable. So trying to encourage kids to go to the doctor is really important. Important work for what Deadly Science does. Um, so. For me, this is a very common scenario for me um, going, this is an Australia post offices, as you can see by the, um, so the Daryl Lee chocolates um, there. And um, this is all the Australia post workers tearing their hairs out. But um, often I'm in Australia post sending these parcels out to remote communities. And um, I still pack all the boxes. I still pack all the resources, even though I've got five staff now, Deadly Science has grown. Um, we work with, so many different communities and so many different kids and it's just really important it's all hands on deck um, and and if you can donate today please donate because we need your help um, it's not a one-man band it's a community of people trying to make a difference and um, these are the kids from Robinson River um, and we gave them all lab coats because again I asked the question what is a lab coat like so when we ask kids to imagine what a scientist is we get Albert Einstein curly hair you know, glasses, and I'm not bagging out anyone with glasses or curly hair, but it's generally Albert Einstein. And they're, you know, he's been dead for a long time. <laughs> um, it's time to show kids what a scientist really looks like or a technologist, and really they need a mirror. And for us, um, we put a lot of lab coats in communities because when kids do science, they should feel like a scientist. And a scientist is not defined like it's not defined by race or gender. It's defined by who's wearing the bit of PPE to protect you from the chemicals. I get really excited when I see these photos because, um, you know, Deadly Science doesn't just work with kids in, 
you know, in schools and remote communities who work with kids of all different backgrounds. This school on the far right hand side is a juvenile justice center. And um, that's why you can't see any of the kids' faces. And we work with them as well. So Dondale Youth Detention Facility, um, uh, Rocky, Rock, sorry, Rockhampton Youth, Youth Detention Facility, Acmena and Grafton. Um, Deadly Science has provided books to all the, the clients that attend that have to attend that facilities. And um, it's really important that kids that make mistakes get opportunities to love science and books and, and whatnot. Um, if it wasn't for books, I wouldn't be here. Um, I was very, very lucky to have a grandfather that um, gave me my first book, which was Reptiles in Colour by Dr. Harold Cogger. And that inspired me on a journey to go through zookeeping and, and to get me to where I am today. So, you know, if I can be that person for these kids, then I really want to be that person. Um, we provide high school and primary school um, students. And I've got to tell you this story because um, it's a really funny story, but this kid here is um, Alfie's younger brother, and he's from Jilkaminion community up in Catherine. And we took these kids to the zoo, Tronga Zoo. Um, and Tronga Zoo's been a real, um, it's been a real ally of deadly science since the get-go. Um, being a former zookeeper, I have a lot of contacts within Tronga, which is great. Um, but during this first trip to Tronga Zoo, we, we organised this trip for Jilkaminion to come down to Sydney and spend time with Dr. Carl and a few other really cool scientists. And we were, um, we were giving them a tour of the zoo and they had these baby tiger cubs. And I was in the process of telling Alfie about, uh, we were telling the kids about these um, tiger cubs and how their tiger stripes act as an insect repellent. And that's pretty cool. And I did a head count and I was missing a student and I was panicking. Um, I thought that I'd just lost this kid from Catherine. Um, it's done. Everything is over. Um, you know, I was really self-conscious about it. And then this kid walks out of the bushes and he's holding this bush turkey. And I said, Alfie, you got to put that down. And he's like, why? I want to eat it. And I said, you can't eat the bush turkey. And here's some reasons why. Um, during the Great Depression, you know, they, these birds were eaten nearly to extinction. Um, the male bush turkey has a phenomenon for a beak. And a baby bush turkey is completely autonomous when it's born. Um, so it's on its own. It hatches. It's on its own. And um and it's, he just said, he put it down. He goes, these bush turkeys are complicated. And I just laughed. I laugh every time I see that because it was just really funny. And it was a really special moment. Um, and Alfie's now a man, like he's 16 and he's um, got his L's and he's still going to Jilkham Indian school and he dreams of going to uni. Um, and he's, you know, we've been able to keep this kid in school, which is really important. Um, down the bottom here, we've got all the kids from Redfern on the block. And um, I had this idea during lockdown last year um, a lot of our, we had a lot of state lockdowns and um, a lot of our remote communities couldn't travel into state to experience things like the zoo. Um, and a lot of kids don't actually get to go to the zoo ever in their lives. Um, so we got all the kids from Redfern. I gave them a sheet of paper with five animal facts on it. And I said, you do the rest. And we created this whole virtual excursion experience. So kids in the bush could go to the zoo and it was other Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander kids teaching them about animals. And it was just a phenomenal experience. And I loved it. Um, here's some of the impacts. And I think this is really important. Um, so I was born on Yuan country and um, I grew up as a Yuan man, um, even though I'm Gamilaroi. I grew up with Yuan people and Darawal people. Um, and um, a lot of a lot of the country burnt in 2020. And, and my book, The First Scientist, actually the cover on the inside 
is around the bushfires and um, Cobargo and Cuomo going under, uh, going up in flames. And it really affected me because I'd spent a lot of my time and a lot of my childhood there. And I'd also spent a lot of time shearing there and working there and, and working on the South Coast as well. And um, so we replaced um, a lot of the, we replaced the books of the kids who lost their homes in those communities. Not because it was, it was important that those kids actually got replacement books and things like that because possessions go, but, you know, often people don't think about the educational loss that comes with these natural disasters. Same with Port Macquarie. I was, I was in waste deep water where I live, um, pulling out, I was in, you know, a lot of the caravan parks, pulling out dryers and washers and, and things like that. Um, during the floods, it was pretty scary at times because, you know, there was a lot of people that had their lives um, in danger. And um, I helped out, helped out with the RSFS and the defense force in cleaning out a lot of houses and, and helping a lot of people that lost everything. And um, we replaced the whole library of Telegraph Point, who was completely destroyed by the floods. We did the same this year for Cabbage Tree Island and a few of the other communities as well that were damaged by the floods this year. And I also, we also successfully connected the Redfern Youth Connect Center um, with internet and gave teenagers a safe space to do their homework. Um, we've helped community schools reach a 40% increase in attendance. And um, I just got off the, a meeting with the NT Education Department yesterday and Robinson River School achieved 95% attendance um, since 2018. And they're able to get more funding now, which is just incredible. It's an incredible thing to do. Um, like it's an incredible goal for the whole community to get attendance up really highly. Um, these are the food boxes. So last year during the um, great lockdown, um, a lot of Aboriginal families struggled with food. So I organised over 2,000 food hampers to go out to all the communities so children could be fed. Um, you shouldn't have to live in a country where, you know, a pandemic causes a global, like a almost a nationwide food crisis, but we had that. Um, and I'm glad that Deadly Science was there. Yeah, so um, we actually provided, it was actually 2,000 hampers across Walga, Gilgandra, Gaduga, Orange, Redfern and Waterloo. Um, we also provided books to kids. They didn't have access to internet at home. Um, not everyone has access to internet at home. Um, this kid is, um, this kid's name, Noah Noble. Um, he's really famous for the Q&A episode where he um, asked Professor Brian Cox, who's a quantum physicist, why stars blink. Um, that was his claim to fame but you know this is one of the really awesome letters we get um kids are just you know getting kids to write letters is just so important um literacy and numeracy are really low in remote communities not everyone gets the opportunity to learn to read or write um so this letter is a real success story um we've been replacing the flood like the schools that have lost books in the floods as well just up there yesterday i've been up in um lismore yesterday visiting all those kids and we um replaced all the STEM resources and donated a bus to Cabbage Tree Island community. The first time they've ever had a school bus as well. Sorry. Um, donated 10,000 Lego kits. And we currently got another 50 pallets ready to go out to all the remote communities. We've got deadly learner sessions. If you're ever interested in volunteering with deadly science and you're a professional, um, you can help us by um, connecting with our remote schools and, and giving them different experiences, different careers. So you know, I know for a fact in person meeting someone that was a zookeeper when I was young, that was Aboriginal, Paul Sinclair, had a huge impact on my life and helped me see that I could actually do it. So 
you never know the impact you may have on someone. Um, we're developing the first culturally appropriate chemistry kits for schools. So as I said, rheumatic heart disease is a huge problem in our remote communities, but part of the solution is making soap cheap and readily available. So we're making that readily available for communities and working with elders to develop those kits. Um, we're developing grants to remote schools so they can apply for a grant for up to $5,000 to actually put a lab in their school. So thinking about more solution-based um, problems to the great resource divide and helping schools put labs in schools so that kids can actually have access to these things that, that are really important to helping kids develop an interest and a passion and a purpose. Um, we've got Deadly Science Club, as you can see by my lockdown hair. <laughs> um, you know, this is a portal where students can um, take control of their learning and, um, you know, help them with their development with the deadly science facts and, and have the deadly science learner sessions, which have been phenomenal for remote communities. Um, this young fella's named Trey, and he's a really important kid. Um, I taught this kid how to read. He's from Geraldton. He's from Panawanaka, and that's not a made-up name. Um, and he was a really rough kid. He's six foot five. He's got a rat's tail. Um, he is a pretty intimidating kid. Um, and he was really struggling with school. He reminded me of myself actually a little bit, um, just with the, you know, school not really fitting him. And um, I took him under my wing and I'm really glad to say that he's now got an apprenticeship with Rio Tinto um, as a geologist because he doesn't want to be a deadly footballer anymore. Um, and he's just a really, he's a real great kid. Um, I've got a lot of time for Trey. My phone number, He's he's got my phone number. If he ever needs anything, he gives me a call. Sometimes he gives me a call just to prank me and he pretends he's Koshy of Channel 7, which is hilarious. Um, but, you know, I love that about him. And, you know, I'm very lucky to have a lot of these kids in my life that I've helped out. Um, these are the kids from Wonga House. They're the bravest kids that I know. Um, they're from Good Islet and Yurikala and they leave community and leave country to um, go and do education off country. And they're always trying their best. They've always got smiles on their faces and I just think they're deadly. And um, I've got a real close relationship with all the houses and and all the kids call me or send me FaceTimes all the time. And um, actually, I'll tell you a story, um, a pretty emotional story as well. I'd, um, one of my students had unfortunately passed away in a really terrible accident. And um, I was really gutted. I was I was really down in the dumps. And um, one of the girls from current house which is on one of the foster care houses up there called me and just you know and they they called me as a group because I I had to cancel our deadly learner session because I was just really distraught I was just really upset and um and you know that's a common practice unfortunately it's just a reality when you work with so many people these things happen and um and they there's this book called um it's called paint it's called emperor penguins and I gave this book to this kid because she really liked penguins and she read this book from start to finish. And, you know, that was one of my proudest moments as a, as a human um, to have that moment with that kid that, you know, that she just, she wanted to read a book to me because she could read it from start to finish without having to stop. And it was just a, it was just a really special moment. And that's just the impact of deadly science, you know? Um, as I said, we help kids that are out of the, out of the education system as well, kids that are dropped out of school, help them fall in love with science and hopefully they come back and they see school a little bit differently and their teachers need educating too. So we can, we work with teachers to, to make school more accessible to kids that have fallen out um, of school because science is really for everyone. Everyone can do a form of science. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't discriminate. 
Um, so we help out a lot with that. Um, we had a drink bottle project. Um, we still do, haven't done it in a while, but I gave every kid on Tiwi Island a, um, a drink bottle, a sustainable drink bottle. And it was really special because um, for me, like every child in Australia should have access to their own drink bottle. Um, and I think that having a sustainable drink bottle is just a basic human right and fresh water. So we worked with the Poach Centre Water Project and um, we got a new drinking fountain installed in uh, Wallaga Lake and Broken Hill. But we've also um, been giving kids drink bottles as well, which is really important. Um, this is our greenhouse project. Um, we put a greenhouse in at Walgett, um, also on Mornington Island. A single piece of lettuce in remote communities can cost up to $22, sometimes even more, and it's half dead by the time it gets to the shops. Um, we have a lot of problems with diabetes in our communities and preventable illnesses, but if we can get kids growing food in the classroom, potentially we can create a microeconomy for the school and um, help reduce the food, um, the food price in remote communities by allowing communities to take control um, of their production of food. So we do all this kind of stuff um, with a solution-based model. Um, this is a really important one. Um, this is young Kayleen. Um, she um, She's unfortunately no longer with us, um, but it's a really special moment for me because um, if you ever wonder why I do this and why I do deadly science, why I work two jobs, why I put myself out there in the social media, I'm actually... You know, I'm a people who know me personally. I'm a bit of a jokester, but I'm also quite shy. And um, the reason why I put myself out there with this kind of work is um, because of people like Caitlin. Um, Caitlin really desperately wanted to look for a, a telescope, and I tried to look everywhere um, for a telescope for Caitlin, and I couldn't find one. And I really wanted a telescope that she could have an iPad on that that could kind of reflect the image of. Um, the telescope onto the iPad so she could actually have an, a telescope that was accessible to her, um, but it didn't exist. And I, I got quoted 40 grand for something that couldn't work, like that might not have worked, but I didn't really have the money at the state at that stage. And that was the last promise that like, that was the promise I really couldn't keep. And I just felt really feel horrible about it, but I did the next best thing. And, um, Caitlin, if you ever want a reason why deadly science is so special to me and, and a lot of other people, it's because of people like Caitlin. Um, Caitlin, I got a projector to, for, and I um, turned off the lights and I projected all the galaxies around her and, um, and I, I put the stars around her. And I think that moment, that moment of just feeling so special and, and normal um, for that kid was just the reason why I do it. And I'm really grateful for Caitlin. And we maintained a pretty strong relationship. Um, and then last year with the, you know, um, care has changed quite a bit with, um, with kids with disabilities. And it was pretty tough for me. I found this perfect present for her. It was like a turtle and it had all the, the bells and whistles. There was a projector that projected like lava and, and it was like underwater stuff as well. So it was like, it was going to be nuts for Caitlin. And I just loved it. I knew how much she loved the projector. I got her the first time. So my wife and I sent this present away just with eagerness and, um, Unfortunately, it came back with a letter um, saying that Caitlin had passed, but I was, I was really, I was really pleased that I could give that kid that moment, that moment to smile and how, you know, it, it impacted her in such an incredible way. And, and I'm very lucky that Caitlin gave us a why, like why we do this. And I'm very, very lucky and I'm blessed to know someone like Caitlin. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I will never forget her. And I'm just really grateful that I knew her. Um, Again, this is um, 
some of the stuff we do um, with remote communities is really beautiful. We take strawberry DNA, make lava lamps. We work with Dan Sultan, learn about how gorillas fart, which is very interesting. Um, previously, a lot of these experiments would have been out of reach for remote schools, but we provide them with the with the lesson plans. Um, and it's really important that kids get these experiences. Um, we've also been working with um, Tamika Davis and to provide emotional cards for kids with disabilities so they can communicate with us. Um, this is Team Slade and um, Tamika is actually doing a really cool thing at the Koori Knockout, where she's having the world's, world's first sensory tent for kids with disabilities at the Koori Knockout. So making a real cultural event that's really important for our community, accessible to everyone, which is really important. Um, we're also giving communities a newfound excitement for STEM. Um, these are the great Ninu. Um, we're actually getting kids to collect bilby samples and send them to the Australian Genomics Lab, which we're mapping out the genome of the bilby, which is really important. So we're on an ARC Centre of Excellence grant um, and the kids are directly involved in it, which is awesome. Um, this is a great Jalaba skink. So we've got the DNA exchange, sorry. Got the DNA exchange with the Australian Genomics Lab. Um, We've also got um, programs with rangers. That's a plumber's camera and we're taking images of the night parrot and we're sending the, the data off, which is pretty awesome. And um, we actually ran, I have a partnership as well. I'm an ambassador of the Captain Starlight Foundation. So a lot of the kids that are sick in hospital in rural Darwin will give books to are often um, present for Captain Starlight because I think a lot of Indigenous kids end up in hospital and I don't, wanna, I don't want them to miss out just because they're unwell. Um, Kids that make mistakes and kids that fall ill shouldn't miss out on science and STEM. So it is so important to include them and, and make them feel wanted. And, and part of, you know, being a scientist is being deadly. And I just want to help those kids out um, as much as I can. So we work a lot with them. Um, we've distributed Lego over 400, over 400 schools. That's soon to be about another 500. We've got so much Lego in our warehouse at the moment. Um, our, our warehouse actually lent to us. We don't actually get funding for a warehouse. So this is um, a mate's rates kind of thing. They're lending us half the warehouse, which is really cool. And we're overextending that because we're taking so many donations in to send out to schools, which is really important. Um, what's next? Deadly learners, deadly labs, deadly weather, deadly junior scientists. These are all the programs. We've got deadly pathways. If there's any technology companies listening, we really want to get involved in getting pathways set up for these kids so that they can go into STEM jobs in the future, which is really important. So you can you can totally get involved, um, get in touch with us, go on our website, um, become a partner, help us send resources. It's all really important. Um, what you can help us with is really important to help us, you know, bridge the gap for some of these remote students. Um, please donate to Deadly Science. If you've got workplace giving, um, volunteer your time as well. Skilled volunteers are really important for an organisation like Deadly Science, helps us build. We want to build partnerships that will employ Deadly Scientists. I would love to see Deadly Science grow so we can employ some more Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people to, you know, to replace me because success for me is not sitting in this seat talking to you. It's actually one of my Deadly Junior Scientists being the CEO of Deadly Science, driving it into the future. Um, sponsor school and STEM events, become an ambassador, share our story, buy our books, you know, do what you can to help us grow. Um, and it's not, it's not about, you know, it's about the whole community. It's not about black or white. It's about making sure kids out there have equal access to STEM. And it's just so important. Um, Yalu, and I'll leave this up and you can scan the QR code if you like. 
Um, I'll go to questions now if anyone wants to ask. Corey, thank you so much. Um, I'm going to look to the audience and, and uh, in, in the room here and see if anyone has a question that they would like to ask Corey. And we do have a microphone with Emily over there and she will bring it to you if you do. So uh, does anyone have a question in here? Stunned. Stunned. Okay. Corey, I have a question for you. I'm, and I'm, I'm looking at you on the screen in case you're wondering why I've got my back turned to you. There you are. See, um, I'm, I, this is an incredible body of work that you're um, creating um, and, 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 and an amazing spread of programs. From the sounds of the, the work that you're doing, it is national. Um, like you're, you're, you're working with remote communities right across Australia, is that correct? That's correct. Um, we've got a presence in every state and territory. And we've only got five staff members as well, and they're all based in New South Wales. But, you know, the beauty of technology connects us all. Um, actually, I had a really cool um, time last week. I was in Adelaide at the Aboriginal STEM Congress and hanging out with some kids from the APYLands. And, um, you know, those, those kids were some of the feedback was like, oh, thank you for helping us believe in ourselves and, and be confident. And, you know, everywhere from sort of one arm point up in the Pilbara, um, all the way down to the Kimberley region, to Piwajari community um, in, in Western Australia, across, you know, across that, that great desert, um, to Port Augusta, to Seduna, um, all the way through the NT and Queensland and out to Walgut. Um, Lightning Ridge, even to some of the Illawarra schools on the South Coast, we've got a presence. Um, you know, they're all communities that we've we've sent resources to, or we've done Zooms with, or we've connected with in some way. So um, it takes it takes a village, though. Um, so we wouldn't be able to do it with all the support. Like we've got a lot of support from members of the public, which has been really great. Um, and I'm just, you know, I'm a man on a mission. And there's 24 hours in a day, and I'm determined to use all 24 of them and make a difference. I think it's a, a, it's incredible what you're what you're doing with your time, Corey. Um, thank you so much for taking some of that time uh, to speak with us today and, and tell us a, a, about what you're up to. Um, please join me in thanking Corey. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for having me.